welcome back to the Delta Flyers. Um, you know, this is something where we've had so much to talk about. We're going to have to split this episode. This is supersized. Supersized podcast. All right, we're going to continue talking about the pilot yeah. a recap. And where were we? So now we're in the mess hall scene. This is the actual very first scene that was filmed. I was super nervous. And I remember in this scene, I'm sitting with the uh, actors, uh, Scott Jake and... Um, Jeff McCarthy, who played the original doctor and the original first officer, they're sitting with me at a table while we're eating. And Tom Paris comes in and he orders from the replicator, he orders soup. Was now, that, the, that was the first scene we ever shot? That is it. That was the, the first one. The very first shot we ever did was me walking up to that replicator. Yeah. Saying that tomato soup stuff. And then as yeah. I turned and over to you guys, the camera panned over to reveal you. Correct talking crap about me and giving me the stink eye. Correct. And I remember that we had a star field outside of the mess hall. Yeah. They kept talking about the star field. I didn't know what they were talking about. And it was, they had built this moving star field, like it was on motors. So it would move and make it look like the ship was moving. That's right. Things like that. And so there was all this <clears throat> conversation about that. And I didn't know what they were talking about. Years later, <laughs> of course, I realized very well what the different star fields are. The, when we're at, Impulse or warp. Warp is a green screen because it's got to be stars flying by. Impulse is just the 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 track stars. And then if we're docked like we were, I think there at that point, stars were just still. So we just had a still star field. Um, yeah, I remember yeah. all that stuff was very very new. And I yeah. remember the crew was talking a lot about um, this was the old. They basically re repurposed the TNG. TNG. Yeah. 10 forward. That was their little 10 forward set. And for me, um, Billy Pete's the, what is he? Head electrician. What do you call it? What was it? Yeah. The grip. Head the grip. I thought he was a mute because that day (laughs) all he did was nod. He didn't shake his head, either shook his head or he nodded. He didn't say anything. So I, I thought, that he did not have the capability to speak at all. That's that's the funny. Billy Pete is actually the gaffer, not the key grip. Uh, okay, he's the gaffer. Randy, Randy Burgess was the uh, key grip. What's really remarkable about this scene, or what stands out, is that again, I was so so nervous that my body was shaking, like my entire body was shaking. And again, I was thinking, I need to tell the executive producer, I can't do this. I need to quit. I can't do this job. I was just shaking, shaking, shaking. And I looked at the two guys that were the guest stars that were that, you know, the, the first officer who passes away and the, and the, and the, and the doctor that passed away. So Jeff and, and Scott were sitting there and I look at Jeff and I, I said, Jeff, man, I think I'm going to pee my pants. I said, I'm so nervous right now. I, I can't stop shaking. He's like, yeah, man, I can see it. And, and I said, what do I do? He says, Hey, let's do an improv exercise. I'm going to get your mind off of this. Okay. So I said, well, what kind of exercise? He was just, Go with it. Go with the flow. And so as Robbie walks in, he very, in a very low voice to me, he says, there he is, that bastard Tom Paris. I said, what? Why is he a bastard? Because we know he's a bastard. I said, how do you know he's a bastard? He said, because we know everything about him. That's why. You were whispering all this stuff. You were whispering all this while you were walking. Yes. While I was doing my tomato soup line. Yeah, brother. You're far enough away. You didn't hear it. And it worked. And it worked, dude. It It worked. worked. It saved my butt. Because literally, I said, well, how do you know he's such a bad guy? He says, well, we know him so well. We're going to know what he orders from the replicator. And (laughs) and so then that made me laugh a little bit, right? Because I I said, really? You're going to know what he's going to order? Yeah, he's going to order soup. And then you say tomato soup. And then, and then he goes, and guess what? This is how we know he's a bad guy. 
that he's someone had these trouble. He's going to be picky. He's not going to just want tomato soup. And then the replicator asks you, there are 15 varieties of soup like that. And you're like, plain, 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 hot, plain tomato soup. And so the whole time they're actually you know, prompting before you say that, he's going to order plain soup and he's going to want it hot. See how picky he is? We know him so well. And the whole time I'm now laughing and getting into this, all my shaking stopped. It came over to me. And then I have the immortal words, you know, and you're like, well, I guess, I guess we're, we can't be friends. And I'm like, well, I, I get to choose my own friends. And then we become buddies for the rest of the show. So. Yeah, Jeff, Jeff is a very talented actor. He was a, played the beast on Broadway and Beauty and the Beast. And Done a lot of big theater projects. Good guest stars on the show. Always have good guest stars. My eternal thanks to Mr. McCarthy for helping me out and getting me less nervous. Um, from here, we head on into the bridge scene um, where we are heading into the Badlands. Uh, we are, uh, Paris and Kimber call to the bridge, and we see the displacement wave that takes the Maquis ship to the Delta Quadrant is now also coming bearing down upon us. This is the first time you see Janeway's wig and Janeway's wig changes throughout this this series because after the displacement displacement wave knocks us that out, piece hanging down that piece oh it's oh. all over the place right it's, it's everywhere all, she had that piece and then finally when she's heading to engineering you see her she she actually didn't put it up they just had her hands up as if she was doing it to suggest that she well, yeah. fixed her hair finally but we Robbie we had a we they had to go back and reshoot that that corridor scene that wasn't in there. Because they had shot the scene of her walking into engineering and her hair was perfectly fine. And somebody, somebody said, wait a minute, continuity-wise, that's wrong. Her hair was totally down from the bridge oh, and funny. now it's perfect. So then she puts it back up into a bun and it's a looser bun in the hallway. When she walks into engineering, it's a super tight bun. So oh, it's wow. again, it's off, right? Oh I my God. I remember now that you say that. And yeah. The, but the, the crazy thing is, as you watch the progression of her wig, like some of it, you can see the lace, you know, the color is weird. At the end, when she gives the big speech about, you know, we're far away from home, blah, 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 the wig looks a lot better. Like they finally kind of, the, the hair team got it all together. Yeah. But it was nutty that they had to shoot that corridor scene just to make it look like she put the hair back. I remember now, yeah. Yeah, and then we go to uh, Tom and Harry are in the sick bay. Um, the, the, the part of the sick bay is on fire. They handed me that fire extinguisher, which Megan and, and Keely were like looking at like, well, that's not very futuristic because it, it really looked like a very basic kind of, yeah. uh, you know, yeah. thing. And I remember having putting these gloves on because it was like uh, that super, oh, yeah. super was... cold uh, liquid nitrogen or whatever it is, right? So, you know, there was pyrotechnics going on. That was the first time I felt, you know, sparks hitting my face. And that happened to all of us all the time. Yeah, I found it interesting that our head of pyro was Dick Brownfield, who literally had missing, he had two fingers missing. So it was yes, like he, he did. He'd, he had blown his fingers off at yeah, something. I, I, yeah, I think that most of the special effects guys I worked with in you know in my life, yeah, missing at least one finger. I think he's uh, he's an old school, yeah, visual, uh, special effects guy. Yeah. I also remember in the sick bay that Bob Picardo. That was my first uh, taste of him and props. He loved props, so he was always he had pads or things. He was all he loved business. And and I, I I remember noticing that that like yep. he was uh, he came in and wanted to have props to play with and move around and and yep. that continued through the whole series. But I remember noticing that right out of the gate that that Bob this guy likes to work with props, which is good. It's good business to have business as an Absolutely. actor. Absolutely. Um, but I will say, since I am the person to activate the EMH. Am I the father of the doctor in a way? Am I? Does Bob Ooh. Picard owe? He owes his entire life to Ensign Harry Kim. 
I bring yep. him to life. So, you know, that was my note there. <laughs> uh, so then we go back to engineering, back to sick bay, back to engineering. People start disappearing. Sick bay, they're disappearing in sick yeah. bay and engineering. And we end up in the farm scene, the farm set, which we talked about earlier, city of industry, very odd in the midst of a instruct industrial area is this, this, you know, kind of rural set. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, we have uh, we have the banjo player. We have um, Tom's and the flirtation. banjo player. He didn't. He couldn't. I remember filming that. He could not play banjo at oh, all. Oh, really? Huh. No, he did not really play. That was all put in later. And I remember when I was watching him, I, his fingers would just be kind of randomly doing things, and I was like, "That doesn't look real." Like I know they're going to put music in, but it just doesn't look like he's actually playing a banjo. <laughs> So anybody who plays guitar is probably watching like that. That's not right. That's yeah, not a chord. Not a real banjo yeah. playing. Yeah. And then there was that farm girl that was all flirty with you and me. Right. And you were extra flirty with her. She was kind of, you know. Oh, I thought that was my character back that then. That was. was. That's he right. Was, you know, he was the ladies' man. He thought, it, the thought of himself as the ladies' man. Yeah. <laughs> Very distracted by... Uh, the pretty girls. She was nice. Just remember that Robert Beltran for seven straight years would always quote, oh, well, we're ahead of schedule. Or, uh, no more time. No, no more time. Not enough time. Yeah. yeah he'd yeah. always do the, he, he did that for seven straight years whenever we were, you know, running out of time behind schedule on shooting, you know, filming or something. He'd, Beltran did that? Yeah, Beltran would always. Oh, I don't remember that. Yeah. I do I do recall his, his when he calls Janeway, when she's, well, aren't you uppity for a minor bipedal species? That, that line, minor bipedal species, was mm-hmm. After we get back to the ship, we realize that, guess what? T- Harry Kim's not there. Um, and uh, the Maquis also realized Bellana Torres is not there. And you are the one that message, messages the captain saying, you know, uh, Captain, uh, Harry's gone. Uh, and you show that you have care and compassion for, for Harry. Yeah, they, they, they were, the writers really put a lot of stuff into that pilot episode that, to establish that Harry and Tom, uh, you know, are, are, are bonded from that, that scene in Quark's bar. And they're going to yeah, look yeah. out for each other. And, yeah. you know, they're going to they're gonna be buddies. And, yeah, that was very well, well conceived by the writers, I think. It was at this point that little Keeley said, he doesn't care about you. Tom never did care about you. That's so, that was her line. Really? <laughs> yeah, she just said that as a joke. Oh, and we do also remember uh, before coming back on the ship, that's when the townspeople turn evil and we see the processing facility and we see everybody on the bio beds, right? Yeah. That was the I infamous- didn't, I didn't remember. I remember you having a needle and screaming really loudly. Yes, I you didn't. That. See, the but, thing is- But I had a needle. They, you did that you had coverage but they didn't use your coverage when they did your close-up i watched and i remember when janeway did hers she made this sound she's like uh, uh, i mean and it, and i joke when i'm in at conventions that it didn't sound painful it sounded like she was going yeah. having something else happening to her body and then when it came to you you did this you were like mm, uh like you were constipated or something. It was sort of this like macho, hey, I'm still Han Solo tough guy thing. You made this kind of grunting thing. Tuvok made no noise. And as a preparation as an actor uh, before that scene, I said, okay, uh, three foot needle gets inserted into my chest cavity. How am I going to react? 
I, and I said, well, let's go with the obvious, let's go with the choice that there is no anesthetics, <laughs> that it's just going to be painful. And so I chose to scream. And that was, you know, how they ended that, that, that act. It was sort of yeah. like, ah, I went to commercial break. Um, so I screamed my, my bloody head off. And yeah, you after, did. I remember that. Yeah. After that scene, we had uh, uh, people on uh, a chat groups. I was in Star Trek chat groups on AOL back in the day. And people were like, wow, you're just like Chekhov. You scream real good. So people were happy about my screaming. This was also the first day that uh, we realized that Tuvok was a practical joker, Tim Russ. Um, if you recall, he was wearing a robe like all of us on set. And... The men were basically shirtless and we had skin colored tights that we wore to look like we were nude. Women wore all complete body colored uh, tights that came all the way up. Mm -hmm. And we were in robes before we shot our close up. And Tim Russ made the announcement there. He turns to everybody and says, <clears throat> excuse me, ladies and gentlemen, um, I have a quick announcement to make. I just want to say that uh, when I take my robe off, uh, could everyone please be polite and not make any comments or laugh? And now we're thinking, what's underneath that robe? What is he, what's he hiding? Does he have, does he have uh, leprosy? You know, does he have boils? What is it? So he, he makes this huge announcement on set to cast and crew and he takes off his robe. And at that point, half the room starts laughing their ass off. And I'm thinking, what are they laughing at? And he slowly turns, like in a 360 turn. And as he turns profile to me where I can see him in profile, I notice that he stuffed about 50 pairs of socks in his crotch area to make it look like he has this huge, <laughs> huge elephantitis of the penis, basically. It was just massive crotch. And everyone started cracking up because who knew that the Vulcan would be like that, right? Yeah. So I mean, he's, he literally he is very funny. Tim always had, uh, he, he would prepare these jokes, mm -hmm. things like that. And he was always very dry and, uh, yeah, we had, a, we had a good group. We had a lot of fun. Yeah, it was a fun group. So then we go back to uh, the bridge and then, then we head to the alien sick bay where you meet Kim and Torres that are now you know, sequestered by at the alien, in the alien sick bay. And the infection they had on us was sort of, you know, they had these little um, it, honestly, it looked like apple pie is what it yeah. looked like. And I kept that, the one that was on my hand, I kept it. Really? No. I did. And I, and I glued it onto the mirror in my trailer. I just had it sticking there. So I, I don't know why I did that. I just did thought, hey, I'm going to collect after it. After we wrapped? After yeah. I kept it after we wrapped. It was just yeah. kind of stuck on my trailer um, uh, mirror um, nice. for a while. And then later, in a later episode where Species 8472 attacks me and I have the tendrils coming out, I, I kept one tendril and I posted it right next to that little apple pie disease infection kind of thingy. Nice. Um, yeah, so those, you know, that was a fun, that was a fun, uh, uh, scene. Uh, Megan made fun of the fact when I restrained Bellana that I'm holding her with my my fingers outstretched. Like I don't grab her shoulders. I'm, she kind of gets angry and she hits the door. I'm like, what are you doing? And I grab her like that. And Megan's like, why would you grab somebody like that? And part <laughs> of it was because I didn't want to, A, I didn't want to screw up the makeup that, that was on my on my back of my hand because it was kind of precariously put on, right? And yeah. I, so I didn't want to move and make too much movement. And so it kind of looked a little awkward, but that, that's one of the reasons. Um, and you can see that she actually tore, there's a hole in her gown. She oh yeah, I saw, I noticed that one on the, on the yeah. rewatch. Roxanne had been a dancer and she was very committed to anything physical. Whenever there was, you know, stunts or things like that, Roxanne was very committed to it and yep, really definitely. dove in. The next scene we're in Janeway's ready room um, and she's talking with Tuvok and she's talking about how Kim's mother called and said that Harry left his clarinet. 
Um, I have a friend of mine, uh, Aaron, who mentions that this is the whole reason, you know, why you were never promoted is because Janeway was so annoyed that your mom called <laughs> to talk about your missing. I know. Like, she said, I remember uh, when I on the rewatch that she said, uh, Harry went to Juilliard or something and played the clarinet. I think she uh, said the, wasn't it the Starfleet Youth Symphony she mentioned? Did she say Juilliard? Oh. She said Juilliard. Yeah. The oh, wow. Juilliard Youth Symphony or something like Okay. That, which I, I had forgotten, but I was like, because I actually did go to Juilliard. You did go there. Yeah. Program. I was like, oh, that's cool. Yeah. At the yeah. end of that shot, it's weird. It's, it's a two shot of, of Janeway talking to Tuvok. And because he's standing on a lower part of that ready room, he looks like he's a foot shorter than Janeway. And so yeah. people don't know if they're watching Voyager for the first time, they don't know the physicality of that, of that set exactly what it is, but it was a set. It was a different level, but yeah. honestly, Tuvok looked tiny compared to her. So then we go back to uh, the bridge where we meet Neelix. Neelix comes on the screen for the first time. Um, Neelix in his super jacket. cool coat. I love super that coat. Cool. I yeah. thought his look was awesome in his ship. I wish he had kept that look. It was awesome. I wonder who has that coat. I know they auctioned mm-hmm. off all of our uniforms and everything and costumes at the end of the show. So somebody, some fan somewhere owns It's that. a cool coat. I love that coat. Um, and I just thought it's odd that he's in a ship yet he has no clue about transporter technology. So it's like, what? Because we, we beam him over and he's like, beam? He doesn't understand that. Um, it's so funny and he sort of got this pose like, okay, I'm ready. Yeah, I'm ready. Oh, yeah. so and, funny. Oh, I really, and, I thought it was a breath of fresh air to see some of that comedy that Neelix brought. Definitely. And there was a lot of scenes with Neelix that ended up on the cutting room floor that people didn't see. Um, there was a scene in his ship where he's moving around and he's pushing buttons and he can't reach this one button. So he literally jumps and hits a button. And it, it's, oh, there's, some, yeah. there's some really funny things that just didn't, you know, you didn't get to see everything with Neelix. Neelix, um, Ethan Phillips, to his credit, was is excellent at comedy, right? Whether it's physical or, or not, he's very good at that. So when we see him in the transporter room, the first time we see the transporter room, what's interesting about that transporter room if you look at the ceiling at the ceiling that was actually the transporter pad the floor from star trek the movie that was kind of a neat thing we had a piece of history there yeah that we were working with right i forgot Um, about that yeah and just very quickly robbie uh from a director standpoint how how is a beam out created just to explain to people, like when we beam people in and out, can you explain the plate processing and how, how that works? Yeah, it's technically on that beaming moment, you need the person there and then you need them not there and you sort of blend it in a dissolve with a little effect. But you don't want to always just cut to these locked off shots that feel like obviously uh, a visual effects you know, shot. Mm-hmm. So what 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 we would often do is sort of pan the camera over with the actor walking to a stop position. And then they'd, they'd start to beam out, you'd keep rolling, you'd step them out, and then you'd get the clean plate. So it looked like they were in movement or, or they'd beam into that shot and then start walking into the scene. So it was always, from a directorial standpoint, you're always looking to try to have those, not always, but often trying to build it in so it feels naturally a part of the shot. And we just sort of all got used to those steps, mm-hmm. I, I think, you know, yeah. and sometimes when a guest actor would come on and have to do a beam in or a beam out, they would act like Neelix and kind of go, I, what am I doing? You know, because they hadn't done it before. But that's uh, true. I think for us, we got very used to, okay, and we're going to beam out. We'll just step in. We'll step out. Yeah. 
Yeah. Another thing they don't teach you at a conservatory acting school anywhere. They don't know. No. Then we go back to the alien sick bay. And I thought it was interesting when she introduces Torres introduces herself to, to Kim, mm-hmm. she pronounces it Bay Lana because the rest yeah. of the show, we say Balana, right? We don't really say Bay Lana, but she says yeah. Bay Lana. Uh, and I thought, Hey, that's, that's different. I thought it was uh, hilarious that uh, Janeway and the team, they were, when they were in the Ocampan underground, were riding the escalator. Yes. It's like, it's like, really? Maybe we shouldn't have used the escalator. It doesn't feel very futuristic. Uh, after we leave there, we come back to the scene with Neelix in the bath, which I love because he has that whole intro where he's Im- singing. And he's right? improving that song, which oh, is hilarious. Yeah. Well, he's like, and he's like, he does this like, like hilarious little melody, which uh, just yes. quintessential Johnny Phillips there. Yeah. Uh, but this is really the only time we see Neelix topless. You know what I'm saying? Had he, the, he had that he's got that ridge. piece in the ridge right there. Yeah, yeah. crazy yeah. ridge. And uh, you know, in the whole Mr. Vulcan bit, you know, we have this this friendship that developed. And mm-hmm. and what's odd enough is that that actually became a real friendship. Uh, Ethan Phillips and Tim Russ had this really yeah. odd couple friendship that they had, you know, that nobody else really yeah. understood. But they were buddies about, you know, for the rest <laughs> of the show. We meet the Kazon Ogla. Uh, where Neelix kind of tells us that we have to go down and it's his way of rescuing his girlfriend, Cass. So we yeah, don't we know don't know that. that. Robbie, I mean, honestly, when I look at the Kazon, I, I don't look at them as threatening, be- mainly because of the hair. The hair bug bugged the crap out of me. Um, it was this crazy matty afro that they put, actually, they used the um, pig ears that you give to feed to dogs and that was painted and put inside the hair in different places. And to me, I kept thinking they should have made it more looking like it should have looked more closer to like the predator or something with, with menacing dreadlocks, but they did this crazy Afro thing with, with the pig ears. And I never was a fan of that. Um, But we meet Kess, we see her, uh, lovely Jennifer lean, um, who was the youngest at the time. I was the second youngest, right? She was the baby. Um, I think she was 18 or 19 when she booked yeah, the show. Yeah, she was very young. Back to the transporter room. Uh, Kim and Torres in the Ocampan Underground. Uh, let's see. Sick Bay with Kess and crew. Uh, that was lovely when the doctor was complaining and Janeway just deactivates him. I, I love that little bit. And he just kind of, this, this is the point where you see that he's adding his comedic side to it. Yeah. Because when she says, computer, turn off, turn off EMH you see Bob's face. Like he literally goes, hmm. like his, uh, his eyes get big for a second. Like, Oh my God. And he disappears, which in a program shouldn't be doing that. Right. He right. should just be very, very like, no, he know, brought personality bland. to it. He did. Oh my did. God. He did. I remember yes. then after that, uh, that whole action sequence climbing up through the, the tunnels to get back to the surface. And that, that was a very complicated action sequence. We had a big set piece with stairs that were built to collapse and, we had some stunt doubles in there. I remember some of that stuff. Yeah. I also love the fact that I had forgotten that Tom wanted to go back and save uh, Harry, that he yes. did a very heroic thing. And I was very, I was happy to see that because, you know, yes. again, my memory of, of uh, early days of Tom that was that he was a bit of a jerk. And right. uh, it was nice to see him doing something Right. redeeming and heroic right out of the gate but actually you weren't going back to say you you saved harry we all came out you volunteered to go back and save chakotay oh yeah that's right right so paris so paris and I, I, my notes are paris and neelix go back to help tuvok uh save chakotay and janeway to get them out right yeah so that, that was that was uh and that's where that wonderful line you're like isn't that some sort of indian custom and then chakotay goes 
wrong tribe like that, which was That's a great right. line. Wrong tribe. Uh, let's see. We are back on the uh, the bridge, sick bay, and then back on the bridge. Uh, the Kazon come to attack because they want to overtake the array, mm-hmm. um, which is now the caretaker is, is slowly dying. Uh, Janeway and Tuvok, uh, let's see, they head back to the array and they talk to the caretaker. This to me is a really, because every Star Trek episode, I feel, besides the basic story that you're watching, there's always an underlying message, you know, behind mm-hmm. every Star Trek episode. And for me, it comes in this speech between the caretaker and Janeway. Now, initially, I thought that I could play this audio clip now because, you know, for, for licensing purposes or whatever, we really don't want to tread on any, anybody's copyright. So I'm just going to recreate this little scene between the caretaker <laughs> and um, Janeway in their voices. So... I've been searching the galaxy for a compatible biomolecular pattern. Now, in some individuals, I found cellular structures that were similar, but I... You've been trying to procreate? I needed someone to replace me. Someone who'd understand the enormous responsibility of caring for the Okampa. Only my offspring could do that. Did you ever consider allowing the Okampa to care for themselves? Uh-huh. <laughs> They're children. Children have to grow up. We're explorers, too. Most of the species we've encountered have overcome all kinds of adversity without a caretaker. It's the challenge of surviving on their own that helps them to evolve. Maybe your children would do better than you think. Voyager Janeway. Go ahead. That was my own voice as Kim. Yeah, <laughs> so there you go. Thank you, thank like you. Him. That sounded totally like Harry. Did it have a pretty good Harry yeah, impersonation? Yeah, Thank yeah, you. Oh really my good. God. But so, you know, I think really the message behind this is in this speech yeah. in a way, you know what I'm saying? Just like sometimes you can, you can coddle your kids forever and say, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to shelter them and whatnot. But in reality, if they don't learn to live life and life's adversities as a, you know, you're never going to, to uh, advance or evolve as a human being. Right. Uh, or mature, however you want to put it. I think in a, in a, another part of that message to me was, this was a brand new series in the Star Trek mythology. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, Gene Roddenberry had been around during the TNG years. But I think the franchise was sort of looking at some growing pains. And, and it, was, it was also reflective of what was happening with Star Trek itself. It was expanding yeah. and growing. And in a way... Star Trek had to let go of daddy of Gene Roddenberry mm. and sort of move into some new areas, a female captain and a, the Delta quadrant and new aliens. And so in a way it was like the franchise needed to be set free to grow up a little. Too. And then the caretaker dies. He becomes a rock, right? He, he comes from the blob down to the rock. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, it's interesting because Basically, the prime directive, I think, you know, the prime directive is basically we can't interfere with an, another um, species development, right? We mm-hmm. can't do anything to affect them. And I think once Chakotay kind of takes his Maquis ship and sort of like kamikazes, kamikazes against the Kazon ship, which then crashes into the array, which then destroys the, the self-destruct sequencing, which th- that's when Janeway said, well, I kind of screwed up. I mean, I don't want to interfere, but I've already interfered. We're already part of it. So we're going to go ahead and destroy this array, just like the caretaker was going to do. And then we are up 
to our own to get back to Earth. So that was a big deal with a lot of fans saying like, oh my God, she went against the Prime Directive. But you know, yes, she did. But at the same time, she did it because of what happened with we kind of messed everything up in a way by, by being there. Oh, I have one side note here. Scott McDonald, remember the actor that was sort of yeah. like there for a lot of stuff? He looks like the actor from The Matrix. I can't remember his name, but the one that's like Mr. Anderson, that guy with the... <laughs> yeah, <that's laughs> and he was also in Lord of the Rings. Yeah, God that's what great. Scott looks like. And he was a great actor, a recurring yeah. actor for us. Um, and so the only other thing that I was going to play an audio clip of was the final speech, which really sets us on the whole journey. And I'm going to go ahead and do that in my, this is Janeway's speech at the very end. It's do that. At one hour, 28 minutes and 53 seconds to one hour, 30, 22. <clears throat> Get this right. We're alone in an uncharted part of the galaxy. We've already made some friends here and some enemies. We have no idea of the dangers we're going to face, but one thing is clear. Both crews are going to have to work together if we're to survive. That's why Commander Chakotay and I have agreed that this should be one crew, a Star Trek, a Starfleet crew. And as the only Starfleet vessel assigned to the Delta Quadrant, we'll continue to follow our directive, to seek out new worlds and explore space. But our primary goal is clear. Even at maximum speeds, it would take 75 years to reach the Federation, but I'm not willing to settle for that. There's another entity like the caretaker out there somewhere who has the ability to get us there a lot faster. We'll be looking for her, and we'll be looking for wormholes, spatial rifts, or new technologies to help us. Somewhere along this journey, we'll find a way. We'll find a way back. Mr. Paris, set a course for home. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> It was I, Captain, but that's okay. Yeah. I, I, felt like a, <laughs> I got it screwed up on my line anyway. Felt like a yes, just, ma'am moment to me. Was, yeah, Very that's fine. good. That's good. Well, that that is uh, that's the end of our uh, scheduled recap <laughs> of the uh, supersized pilot. We needed to kind of dive deep into this one, so thanks for sticking with us. I just want to thank everybody. Most of all, I want to thank Rebecca Sims and my partner and uh, and, and Megan Elise, my partner. Elise. Yeah, they have worked so hard. Uh, I just want to acknowledge how hard they've worked to help us uh, put this all together and get logo designs and music and editing and and uh, T-shirt design inspirations and just really been supportive. So Rebecca and Megan, thank you so much. Yes, I mean tire literally tirelessly. They they have been just around the clock doing all the nitty gritty while we're trying to prep for the show, they're doing everything in the, in the behind the scenes. And, and I'll, I'll tell you, starting a podcast is there's a lot of stuff to, that goes on yeah. with this. It's, it's not that simple. I thought it would be very easy, but Oh my gosh, there's so many logistics and so many things to take care of and set up. And yeah, and, we've got some growing pains. This was like we said, unexpected supersize, but yeah, we yeah. wanted to dig in deep for this first episode and, and maybe, maybe give everybody a little extra something. So Thanks to uh, Megan and Rebecca. Thanks to our all our Patreon subscribers, and particularly our our uh, producer level subscribers and our co executive producer level subscribers. Really helps to make this show possible and uh, get all of those things together that uh, that that allow us to uh, to bring this this shows to you. 
And for as long as it has, as we have spent on this, I, I do think this is a good beginning. And I think that people will, will dive into this and, and be excited that we did do as much as we did do. Thank you again to all the fans and thank you to, to both Rebecca and Megan for helping up with everything. And we look forward to uh, you jo joining us on this journey for our next episode uh, that we will be reviewing uh, Parallax.